All right, this is Darkadies Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Crystal. How's it going, Crystal? It's going. How are you? Uh, I'm great. I'm really excited for this episode, uh, talking to Wet Ink Games. Uh, but also joining us on the uh, the host side of things is Chris. How's it going? Hello. Uh, pretty good. Yeah, busy. <laughs> and killing zombies in Res Evil 8, so I'm happy. <laughs> oh, excellent. Excellent. We'll have to uh, get a review of that once you're uh, done with the game. Oh, yeah. James has already finished it, so I'm sure a review is incoming. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Awesome. And then also joining us is Matthew Orr from Wedding Games. How's it going? Hello, hello. That's going hey, not too bad. Not too bad. Yep. And then in addition to that, we have his partner in crime, Brandon Ayton. How's it going? Hey, everybody. Yeah, it's going great. It's going great. Perfect. Yeah, really excited to uh, have you guys on because you have a really cool Kickstarter ongoing, which is uh, Into the Weird and Wild. Uh, do I want to call it second edition or revised edition? I'm sure we'll get into that in the questions. Um, but it's uh, really exciting. Uh, horror gaming supplement and fantasy gaming supplement, uh, which I think will really interest a lot of listeners. But before we get to that, uh, let's get a little game update uh, from one of the hosts. Uh, Crystal, we haven't heard from you in a while. What kind of gaming have you been doing lately? <laughs> um, I have not been doing my D&D, my regular D&D game kind of put a pause um, due to some real life things going on with my players, which is totally fine and understandable. Um, so most of my gaming has come from streaming. So hmm. uh, I, uh, I've i been playing Warhammer with you guys. And Tuesday, which is after recording, after this releases, I'm playing a one-shot for Sirens Battle of the Bards um, on Gehenna Gaming. So... Yeah, and uh, I've heard rumors, I don't know if you can talk about this, uh, but I've heard rumors that there could be a stream of a wet ink game at some point. Mm. some point, yes. Um, I uh, Dates are not solidified yet, so not going to give details, okay. but yes. All right. This is well, relevant we'll just... to my interests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Awesome. And with that uh, tantalizing uh, little tidbit right there, normally we'd get into uh, gaming news, but um, this is all going to be kind of a news segment as we uh, talk to Wet Ink Games. So let's just move on over to that uh, main segment and that main interview. All right. So we're here talking with uh, Wet Ink Games, a really excellent company um, that's been doing uh, some really phenomenal role-playing games lately. And I'm pretty sure that, uh, Matthew, you haven't been here on the show before, so I was hoping you could give us uh, a little bit of your your street cred in the RPG and uh, general gaming industry. Um, so so how'd you get started and uh, also then get started with Wet Ink Games? I, I know I've told this story before, but maybe not to your, your listeners. Uh, and uh, I... I don't remember how I discovered role-playing games because I know I went to the game store and I bought a set of the polyhedral dice. And I was like, I know you play games with these. I don't know what that is. So I got a piece of grid paper and some of my friends and we sat at a picnic table outside 
And I was like, all right, you're in a clearing and there's trees on every side. And they're like, we go north. And so then I drew little trees to the, on the hex to the north. And then I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to use this little diamond-shaped die. And uh, there are four goblins here. And they're like, great. We fight them. And I'm like, great. Uh, here, roll these three dice. You know, I just made it all up. I, don't, I, I really don't know where I learned that it was a thing you could do. Whoa. But I just got some people hmm. together and started doing it. Like that is epic. Oh my and gosh. I, and so when people are like, you know, they have their very specific memories about like, I know that it was the West End Star Wars that I got from my brother and he taught me how to do it. Like, I don't have any memories like that. I'm like, I wanted dice, I bought them, I got started making maps, I started GMing, no experience, nothing, no games even. I, I had I started with like I was like let's see, I remember some stuff from Final Fantasy 2 that was pretty cool, so I guess at some point mm. they're going to have to find some diamond armor, but like, you know, it was, it was, um, and this is, this is middle school, so like, it was after that uh, that I met Brandon, and he had actual game books uh, from Palladium, and so I was like, oh, game, there's books you can get? <laughs> so that was my first contact with like real RPG products was uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and other strangeness that Brandon had. Um, so we hung out and talked about that. Uh, I don't know. That's that's flash forward like I don't know. Was it twenty five years later? And uh, you know I've played Dungeons and Dragons. I've written for uh, had some stuff published with Palladium. I've had some stuff published with uh, Third Eye Games. And then Brandon and I started to do a game together. We started cooking up, um, what was this, Brandon, like 2009 or so? We started cooking up a game scenario, a game, um, our first game. It's called Wild Skies. And we were cooking up the, we're like, well, we want to use, we want to do anthropomorphic animals, but we don't want to use any games that are already out there. So... And we also don't want to use any like settings that are already out there because we want it to be 1930s and we want it to be like gritty diesel punk stuff. And so we just kind of made our own stuff and we're like, this has legs. Let's uh, see if anyone wants us to actually write it. So we did our first uh, Kickstarter to get that game out into the world. And it's been, I don't know if it's been like smooth sailing since then, but it's been, you know, we, we've gotten. We haven't looked back, certainly, um, since we since we embarked on this this project together. Yeah, that's I think that's a good way to good way to put it. Uh, and Wild Skies especially is is one because you know it's it was our first baby, so uh, it, it holds a special place in our heart, and uh, it's just such a, a fun and and cool setting. So I don't know if that fully answers your questions or not. You you can feel free to. Uh ask follow-up questions no it, it definitely does and uh yeah wild skies is a really interesting and and very unique game due to its um uh i guess i guess you can say like anthropomorphic yet also real world historical nature and you know the kind of like interesting uh sort of fantastical but uh also very much grounded elements that all mixed together uh which is which is really rad I've not played it, but looking at it, it's yeah. So it's anthropomorphic, kind of crimson skies ish, then as well, because it's pulp, kind of aeronautical, kind of madness. Yeah. A lot yeah. of aeronautical pulp to it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. 
I, I always describe it as Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow smashed with Disney's Tailspin. And that usually gives people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That usually gives people exactly what, what they need from it. Tailspin is a, a good reference point, definitely. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. So, you know, we're here to talk about uh, Into the Weird and Wild um, kind of revised uh, edition that's uh, on Kickstarter right now. And, uh, you know, Brandon, I have to give you a little bit of a hard time because last time we had you on the show, we're asking you, like, why you're so into horror RPGs. And you said something like, you respect horror RPGs, but it's not really your go-to. And yet, Wink Games has been putting out amazing <laughs> and terrifying horror products lately, you know, with um, with Never Going Home and the uh, the dossiers that uh, uh, are being worked on. Jiang Shu uh, is being published by you, and that's a really interesting uh, horror game. Uh, and, and also a family-oriented game, uh, which is which is very uh, poignant these days. And now we have Into the Weird and Wild Second Edition. Uh, so I guess Brandon and Matthew, what what gives? You know, why are you guys uh, uh, going in so deep into the more spooky elements of role playing lately? Oh man! So you're right. I remember that conversation, and you're totally you're totally right. Um, you know, horror has never really been like my, my absolute go to. Uh, but you're right. I, I respect the, the horror genre, um, because there, I mean, there's just great storytelling in, uh, in some of the, the horror things and you see it coming up in, in, um, coming into like into places that you don't necessarily expect, um, in pop culture. I mean, you, we just had, uh, you know, HBO's, um, uh, what was the, the one uh the cthulhu show that was just on hbo um lovecraft, oh, lovecraft country yeah yeah, yeah yeah lovecraft country and lovecraft country was fantastic and i loved it how it was you know it was uh based off the based off a book and it was a you know a a, a cool and unique take on uh you know on um horror but it was bringing in other either historical elements or something else. And, you know, I just, I just watched the first season of invincible, which in some ways could have some, uh, not traditional horror, but they're taking a superhero genre and just like flipping it on its, on its head with, you know, uh, in just being, um, uh, not horror specifically, but horrific. Um, and so that's one of the things that, that, uh, if you notice some of the games that we've put out, uh, Never Going Home, uh, the campaign dossiers for Never Going Home, Zhang Shu, and Into the Weird and Wild, all of these are uh, they are horrific or they have horror elements, but that's not necessarily the main takeaway. Um, in Never Going Home, for example, the main takeaways the the loss of humanity uh and and we tie in a lot of the historical elements there uh and the horrors of war uh are are there alongside the horrors of the supernatural uh in zhang she the uh you know you're managing a restaurant you're running a restaurant with your family and you're trying to survive the night as these uh you know chinese vampires are uh, these hopping vampires are uh, just haunting your family and affecting, uh, you know, your ability to to live your life. Um, and so, yes, they're there, and yes, they're horrific elements. But um, again, 
your family life is uh, where a lot of the the true role playing elements are. And into the weird and wild um, is, and, and Matt can definitely give us some uh, some additional perspective on all of these as well. But into the weird and wild, it's the the element of um, you know it it takes place during your Indiana Jones travel music. You know, it's like, we're not just going to go from town A to town B and just say, okay, you had six days of travel. It's like, no, you can have additional adventures and you can make that, that, uh, that travel scary as you may find yourself lost. Uh, you may, uh, run into, you know, some, some trickster beings or run into something that obviously does not want you there into the deep woods, um, for fear that, you know, your humanity is going to affect, uh, you know, is, is going to, you're going to cut down the woods and make farmland, you know, it, it knows better. It's a level of self-preservation. So there's just, there's always something else there beside, uh, you know, alongside the, the horror element. And those are the things where I think our products really shine. And I'll also say that these are not necessarily, these aren't things that that we are writing. These are things that we we've partnered with, uh, with developers and designers who are doing some of this work. And these are the, the niches that we want to fill and we want to highlight in the industry. So that's the kind of stuff that we really love to do. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know that I need to add too much, but to that, I, I think it, at this point, anyway, it's kind of like, you know, I'm just thinking about like the kind of, you know, a director that makes a movie and then like, oh, well, that was great. I want to work with that director to make another movie just like that. So we didn't necessarily seek out Zhang-Chi, Banana Chan and uh, Sing Foon Lim came to us with like, hey, we've got this project and we want to partner with you on the project. And, you know, when you've got designers of that caliber saying that they want to work with you, you, you don't say no. And then same with Charlie for and and Feral Indie Studios for Into the Weird and Wild. You know, people have asked him for a long time, like, are you going to reprint that book? And he's like, I don't really want to do that. But, uh, you know, because it's a lot of work. Maybe Wedding Games, we can partner together and we can do another edition of the book. Um, so, again, you know, if he wants to work with us on that, like, we're not going to say no. So it has kind of become a bit of a brand for us. Uh, especially working with uh, Charles Ferguson Avery on another project. Um, but, uh, you know, they're great people to work with. And I, I wouldn't want to say no, just because like, eh, we've done or, or you know, you, you don't, you don't, you don't let an opportunity like this pass by. Understood. Very cool. Very cool. Into the Weird and Wild is, this is the second edition for it. Um, what is the overall premise of it? Where where did the idea for it come from and how does it kind of fit into a game or um, uh, an, a concept? First and foremost, this is uh, Charles Ferguson Navy wrote the text for this book and he did the majority of the art. He's got a few other people who helped him do some of the art in it, but it's mostly his, his uh, brainchild, basically. And for he tells the origin story of it as like, it basically comes from like his memories of living in rural Pennsylvania when he was a kid. I mean, he still lives in rural Pennsylvania, but specifically when he was a kid and spent a lot of time traipsing through the woods, like that feeling of 
the woods don't want you here. You're you're not part of the woods. Like they, the, the woods is is other to you as a as a human being. Um, and he has sat with that and and tried to capture that feeling in a in a supplement. So that makes it into this book, which is a supplement for basically any kind of role playing game you want. It is not specifically like a tied to 5e product um it is or or any particular game and it's about the creepy woodlands you know like it's got a full range of stuff it's got factions it's got magic it's got plants it's got a huge bestiary it's got some special rules in it about like how to travel in the woods how to get supplies how to watch the phases of the moon how to hunt for animals how to harvest stuff from animals like a bunch of stuff that can basically not that it can only happen in the woods but that like it is very much tied to like you are living in the woods you are experiencing the woods up close and personal and 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 nothing in the woods wants you here and when you say like you know it has examples of like things you can do with the survival out in the the wilderness is that because you're saying like as you say it's it's not tied to any uh, particular system so is that it so what's presented is more like a way of structuring within your games those activities yeah so there, there's a, a level of structure things that you can find you know how long mm. that you, you know, do you want to to take to to uh, skin and prepare a hide things like that and um you know some uh, some ways that maybe some of those things can be used to provide maybe some magical benefits in your fantasy game. Uh, we used it for uh, a campaign that we did. In, it was a 5e campaign. Um, and there was a lot of, a, a lot of wilderness elements. You know, I was playing a Druid and I wanted to skin everything. You know, I was able to get, uh, I was able to get the stuff that we could trade. Like I didn't use any, any coins at all. I just would, I would always barter with, um, you know, meat or with, uh, prepared animal hides or with uh, you know teeth or claws or you know glands whatever I could I could have in order to um, you know to 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 trade and um, you know it was it was a lot of fun uh, there was some some bookkeeping on my end just making sure that like okay well I if I have you know the adrenal gland of this creature I can jot down kind of like what it does and which is really cool to to see and use um and it definitely like for my druid it, it added a, a lot of uh, a lot of flavor there uh and there's it's just so it, it's like a, a toy box you know there's so many mm -hmm. things that you could just pick out and use all of it all plays well really nice together uh but you know if you just said like yeah i want to use some of the the hunt mechanics or i want to use the faces of the moon or um you know i really like the way that you know this elf faction is in uh in this setting so maybe i'll use that i want to use some of these wild spells um i guess weird spells <laughs> but yeah you you can bring all of that stuff in uh piecemeal just and uh talk with your with your game master your narrator and see what you can do yeah i mean i, I mean it's good though it's system agnostic because i've come from a position of i don't play lots of D, &D based systems so I'm thinking more from like it sounds like a good obviously something to reach to to inform say a wilderness kind of scenarios for say Warhammer Fantasy where 
you know, there's a big dark forest filled with beastmen. So how do you survive? Um, that'd be really cool to uh, to do. And something we should really explore in future in our streams. I'd love to hear what, what happens, uh, you know, with a uh, Warhammer fantasy. I know Charlie just ran it uh, the other day in a live stream for, uh, and he was using Nave. Um, you know, we've talked about using it in, uh, for, you know, even a, uh, like a post-apocalyptic setting. Um, yeah. you know, there's just, there's all kinds of stuff that you can do, but no, it'd be, it'd be really cool to hear, um, you know, how you pull stuff into, um, uh, in there. Like I, I'm going to use it in a future iron kingdoms. I was like going to say, yeah, iron kingdoms is a good fit. Um, unleashed, uh, in particular, because yeah. that is dealing with the wilderness and the uh, creatures there, like the scorn and the gator men and et cetera. Um, yeah. okay. Um, right into this, this book. Absolutely. I'm pharaoh, pharaoh are gross. <laughs> Do weird a, things. <laughs> I, I love the pharaoh, but gator men, absolutely. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it'll be perfect for that. Cool. Yeah. Um, so leading on from that then, um, obviously that's kind of a good overview of what's in this book uh, before we get too deep into any particulars. So what does this second edition bring... Uh, bring compared to the first edition that came out not too long ago. I mean, this is a reprint, obviously, so that means more people get hard copies into their hands. So that's great. But what's the extra bang for the buck in there? Yeah, that's a that's a very good question, and that was actually some of the the stuff that we wanted to highlight just on the on the main page. Um, and we had a lot of people who were who were backers of the first who are still backing uh, at the second just because they want an additional copy for their group and stuff like that. But uh, Charlie, uh, when he originally did it, he uh, he got some really good feedback once he got it into the hands of people. Um, and he said, oh, man, I, I, I was kind of kicking myself uh, for not including some of this stuff, you know, basic stuff like an index. Um, but he he added uh, some new tables for uh, for encounters, things that you can uh, encounter in the in the woodlands, not just random and creature encounters, but also, um, you know, things just creepy things that you could hear or smell mm. or, uh, or see off in the distance and just there uh, as a fan of of old school random tables like this, the, the stuff that was added was just great. Um, there's uh he wanted to improve some of the art he said okay well you know this is maybe a weaker piece i wanted to, to refresh this and uh so he in included some of that um the original uh intent and the inspiration behind the book why he wanted it uh why he wanted it out there he kind of modified that a little bit in a uh his his kind of introductory um uh introductory like essay for the book i would i would say um and just ways to kind of like implement the all, all of these rules in that kind of toy box uh method that that we were discussing earlier um and so a lot of it is just um you know he, he wanted to get all this stuff out there um in a, a a slightly revised tightened up and cleaned up way um and the one of the things that when we started talking about this uh was you know are there are there any future plans for anything else uh along the along these lines um and so we've 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 tossed that around and so we also kind of standardized uh the format like this is going to be a 
hardback book. It's going to be six by nine. Um, and you know, any, any future books like this will also be hardback also six by nine. He originally had a, a paperback version of it. We're not having a paperback version. Anything that you'll be able to get in distribution will be a hardback version of this book. Um, and it'll be just a, a, a joy to use if you prefer dead tree format like me. Cool. I realize I've actually stolen Crystal's next question, sort of. <laughs> um, so, um, Chris, uh, well, Crystal's next next question. Anyway, so Chris, do you want to take my question that's ahead of it? Because I stole the one about fantasy, other fantasy systems. Yeah, that's not a problem. Um, so, um, are there going to be any like novel editions um, to Five E to um, for the the Five E system to capture that feeling of wilderness survival? Are you guys going to add any mechanics or anything to to that? Or adjust any mechanics? Gosh, off the top of my head, there's not anything that I would think we would necessarily need to make explicitly 5e because the way it's written, um, it, I mean, we used it and it was, it was almost seamless. Uh, I mean, there was, you know, there's a, there's a learning curve when anytime you use any kind of system agnostic product, but um, no, there, there, there's not necessarily anything on the future for us to make it specifically 5e. Um, but I don't think that's a, a detriment. Yeah, I mean, based on what I've seen, um, which is which is a little limited. Um, I don't think it would be difficult to uh to adapt any of the basic mechanics to fifth edition. So there's really nothing holding you back, right? Right, and we no. actually had a question very similar to this in a uh in our we we had a chat conversation the other night, um. And it was really around magic spells and people were like, well, you know, what are your saving throws and stuff like that? And I'm like, I mean, if you've played 5e for, you know, half a minute, you know, I, I actually copied and pasted the, the text of one of the spells. And I said, I mean, you can take a look at this right here. And the guy said, well, maybe it would need a, a saving throw. And I was like 13 or 14. And he's like, that's exactly what I was thinking. And I'm like, see, you've played you've played 5e for more than 10 minutes you can feel that feel that out talk with your game master and there's all there's there's that all of that commentary is also in the book um just like everything else i mean this is a collective storytelling experience and you don't want to make sure you want to make sure you don't just like drop something in your 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 dm's lap and say oh i'm i'm totally doing this and it's like no you have that that conversation when you roll up your character and you sit down and you level set as a party so hmm. You know, in exhaustion levels is a thing in 5e, but there's a list here of like, if you fail to get a good night's sleep or go a day without food or suffer illness or disease or receive a debilitating injury, you could take a level of exhaustion. And then there's a random table, as Brandon was talking about, love random tables. It's a D8. So like, okay, you're exhausted. So you're either sluggish and your speed is half, or you're unsteady and you get disadvantage on dexterity rolls, or you're surly and just you cannot be friendly, you know there's a list there and then below that you've got so how many exhaustion levels can you take well it's either five or your level and if you take more than that you die because you're exhausted like and those are different than all of that is different than the rules as the given in 5e but just as an example of the kind of way in which it's very compatible with either a 5e game or anything where you're 
introducing the concept of exhaustion. Maybe the game you're playing doesn't have that, but here's a usable set of rules, what that looks like, um, the effects of being exhausted. You know, it's, it's not just narrative. It does give you that, you know, the stacking of weaknesses, and they're all cumulative, cumulative as you continue to not get a good night's sleep and continue to not find food and all that kind of stuff. So you can really bring that terribleness of the isolation and the you know, struggle to survival into it um, and how yeah. bad you want it to be. You know? That's that's quite interesting because obviously I think by you by saying by having a book that talks about those conditions in a in a very narrative way, it makes it much more you know, obviously it then becomes easier to transpire into it. Because just as you were talking like, oh, you know, this hinders you, that's you know, if you play enough Warhammer Fantasy 4e, hinder, hindrance, I, I asked Crystal, what's a hindrance in Warhammer Fantasy? You'd go minus 10 to a dice pool, right? Or um, there's a fatigue condition. So it translates pretty seamlessly for that game as well. And again, that's the intention. It's supposed to be yeah. able to apply these concepts of wilderness survival to just about anything. Yeah, um, that's great. Yeah, that's really cool. Hey, so since we uh, accidentally stole Crystal's question about uh, what fantasy game we would use this book with, if if you'll all humor me, I would ask, like to ask Crystal, Crystal, based on what you've heard, what fantasy game do you think this would mix really <laughs> well with? Are there any parameters on this one? There are no parameters. <laughs> Anything you want. Okay, I would, I would totally use this as a PIP system game. Mm. And <laughs> I would do... On brand. I was like, you nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I would would totally do something like um, a Homeward Bound game with it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. Man, with those, like, random tables and everything, also just any kind of like west marches sort of game where you have like the random hex crawl or something like that you know similar to what matthew was talking about with uh his his first rpg experience that's uh mm. this book is is great for that yeah hex crawl wrath and glory that would be easy to do with this just play poor imperial guardsman <laughs> yeah in a surviving uh, oh, in a uh, in a death world or something oh yeah yeah, yeah, it'd be hellish. And then that obviously works well for um, uh, Never Going Home as well. Perfect for that. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Now that I... <laughs> Why did I not think of using it Never Going Home? <laughs> um, it'd be perfect for the uh, the Russia setting. It absolutely yeah. would. More, think... more deep woodsy than uh, some of the other settings. You know, we actually had some some backers talking about uh, some of the settings that they use it in. Uh Barroom, uh, it's the the dark fantasy free league game. Um, yeah. I think it's free league. Um, Vasen would be another one that's yeah. been mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally, uh, just because I'm a, a sucker for it, uh, Cubicle Seven's Lone Wolf um, uh, setting. Yes, it would be Ooh, really cool to use it. Really that. good. Yeah, uh, that's a good plug because yeah. there is a new edition in the works as well. I know um, they've announced yeah. that. So yeah, um, yeah. Cool. Obviously, you know, we've talked about a, a bit about, you know, the idea of hex crawls and so forth and facilitating that type of gameplay with this. Um, you speak of the thing known as a wilderness dungeon. So what is that within the context of this book? And what guidance does this 
is this book providing and how you tackle that concept? Oftentimes you you are on your way to a dungeon. You've heard you've got your rumor from the city rat that you shook up and now you're gonna like you've gotta go six days across the wilderness to get to you know the abandoned library and you've got to to ransack the, the vaults beneath the, the, the library, right? Well, you're just going to make, like, you're going to set camp every night. You're going to make six encounter rolls. Like, you pass your surveillance checks. And then, you know, you either have an encounter with some bandits or a wild beast or whatever. You know, the concept of the wilderness dungeon is, is, is no. You're going to the forest, and the forest is the dungeon. So you can get as granular with that as you want. You can roll, you can sort of like, if you pass through a forest or you arrive at a forest or you're meeting an isolated like watchtower in a forest, you can have all of this stuff kind of interacting with the edge of that like very little civilization, like the thin ribbon of civilization that is a road through the wilderness. All of this stuff can be interacting with or you can really embrace like the totality of the wilderness dungeon, and then like you no, know, somewhere in this forest is a magic being that we need to get a favor from, and we're gonna wander around in the woods for who knows how long it's gonna take us to find it, till we find it, find the thing we're looking for, and you know we're gonna be gathering resources along the way so that we can continue to explore, and we'll have to, you know, that's that's the whole wilderness survival aspect of it. Um, encountering the, the beasts that we encounter and stuff like that. So it gives a system and it sort of support, support that idea that the forest itself is the dungeon. There is, you mentioned hex grids, hex crawls. So there is a hex-based system and you get a little I mean, if you really want to get granular with it, you print out a sheet of hexes that are about four inches. You roll some dice, d6s on top of your hexes the D6s are going to show you one, again, random tables, what kind of clearings are in the woods. You can roll randomly to connect these different clearings with different pathways. So you've got like, you know, this is a, this is a, a, a marshy area that connects these two points uh, that connects like an abandoned well and a giant tree stump. Are they connected by, uh, you know, the spine of some giant beast that, that's what you have to walk on to get there between those two points. And then how weird are they? What do you find there? There's just a whole set of random roll tables to create the dungeon either beforehand and throw your players into it or kind of as you explore um, each area of the woods, you can kind of see, all right, well, how many connection points are there to this random place? You know, roll the dice, see mm. how many connection points there are. What kind of paths are between here and there? What are you going to meet when you get there? And you could build out a whole dungeon, like I said, either in advance or as you play, to like have the woods themselves be the dungeon. I also get the feeling like um, I get—I don't know whether maybe it also changes the sense of what all the challenges are. Because like when you think of the classic D and D dungeon, you know, you're in the dungeon, you're going room to room, corridor to corridor, going through past traps, and you know swarms or mobs of monsters to get to the loot um i think the feeling to me is that uh that by having a, the wilderness as the dungeon like the the threats and challenges are, are more 
surviving the woods and passing through it, which really allows you to change your focus to the fact that your end goal is really more to get to the monster maybe or creature that you're hunting. And I think that might sell it quite well to people who like, you know, computer games like Monster Hunter or um, or board games like Kingdom Death, which is purely about killing a big bad monster once you've got there, not actually killing droves upon droves of monsters and grinding through. And I think that might change that changes. I feel I feel that changes the dynamics of a game. And there's actually, you know, uh, you know, rules about like uh, about the hunt itself, like getting finding your quarry mm. and tracking yes. it down and, you know, like and actually going on a hunt, not just going into the, the dungeon itself, quote unquote dungeon itself. But, yeah, you know, we are going to hunt this creature that's been ravaging the the, the nearby farm village or whatever it's uh, so there's a there's a lot that's that's in here but no that that tied a monster hunter uh, I think is um, I, I think that that could be a really cool way to do it as well hmm. yeah and Brendan that's actually a it's a good tie in to our next question here so um you know you guys have a lot of really cool stretch goals as part of this uh, Kickstarter uh, but what really stands out to me is the uh, online hunt generator. That seems like a very interesting concept. So, uh, Brandon and, and Matthew, could you kind of tell us uh, what backers and, and our listeners can expect from that? The first edition of the game, the when the book came out, uh, one of the the backers had reached out to to Charles, and he'd done some online tools for uh, you know other developers on itch.io, and uh, he was really excited uh, about everything that uh, was in was in this book, and reached out to Charlie and said, "Hey, you know, I I built this thing." just want you to take a look at it. Uh, and it was really, really cool. And before the campaign, uh, Charles put me in touch with, uh, with the developer and said, Hey, um, I'd really, you know, like to consider maybe refreshing this, doing a, a, a new version of this, maybe adding some additional functionality uh, for this. And it's something that we're, we're offering to all of the, uh, not just just backers, but anyone who purchases this product. I mean, this online hunt generator is going to be available for free to all uh, all players uh, of the game. Um, and so, what it's going to do? It's you know, it's it's going to bring a lot of the random tables and everything together. Uh, and so, you can go on and just randomize a hunt from from the beginning. Um, it's going to allow to to see like if there's any benefits or setbacks that go in uh, along the way of the hunt, um, you know, and those could be, you know, small inconveniences like oh, you know, hey, I we we lost you know some of our we lost some of our supplies or uh, everything from like oh well now you're you know you're absolutely you know you broke a leg you have a crippling injury and you're miles from from anything. Um, so there's, there's a, a lot of that that goes into it. Um, and, uh, we're actually meeting with the, uh, the designer, uh, and the developer tomorrow, uh, to talk about some of the, the new features that we're going to be, uh, incorporating into it. Uh, and that's going to be you know, pretty exciting to see. Um, and yeah, as I said, it will be available to, to all players of the game. 
yeah that is awesome and really helpful for storytellers or uh, or game masters just to kind of have a quick way you know maybe you're having a busy week and uh you just go to the online hunt generator and you got a got an instant session for people so that's really cool and I, one of the things I'm, I'm hoping that we can we can talk about is not just the the hunt itself, but uh, maybe the potential for even the uh, bringing in some of the the visuals and uh, the maps for like the maybe even the dungeon generator. I don't know if that's if that's feasible or if that's something that uh, is going to be uh, going to be in there. But uh, I know there was initially some interest in doing that as well. Um, which you know if if it's possible that that we may be able to incorporate that into uh, a future goal what what are some of your fate what's like a favorite weird location that is in the book so what's a place that could randomly turn up in the in the forests in the the wilderness that you particularly like and just think yes that encapsulates some of this book i i have mine um and i'll 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 let matt uh you know take a look you know there there's a there's a number of different things that are that are in here uh you know that are potentially terrifying and bad and to the point where you know some people are like why would i ever go into the woods i'm like that's kind of the point Uh, but Hmm. the uh there the one that i really really like because it's just one of those it's just the right level of creepy um and uh and it does give you kind of a a benefit for being out here it's the grove of tea and candles uh let me just read this to you it's dark here the trees are gnarled and old but smell of exotic fragrances their limbs are adorned with waxen candles each glowing with a soft warm light if you follow the trail through this grove of candlelit trees you'll come upon a campfire smelling of fresh tea surrounded by a group of reverent tea lovers and their kettles they mean no harm they'll trade their teas for coin or goods and their wares are uh, the most exotic variety and the highest quality and it's just one of those things it's like it's completely unexpected um especially if like you've been you know been been being you know just beset upon by by you know crazy monsters and and uh horrific you know things like oh i just ran through a a a bunch of giant spiders and uh or whatever and you just come up upon this group of people who are just talking about teas and trading teas (laughs) i just thought it was it's great it's my one of my favorite things in the book that's just some face shit waiting to happen um, and it just remind me why another game that this that would be would fit perfectly into um, is randomly procedurally generating um, locations in the hedge for Changeling Lost Second Edition. That'd be perfect. Oh yeah, um, cool. <laughs> just another thing that pops into my head. So, since you gave us your favorite weird locations, um, I am all about like really cool monsters and spells especially ones that are like weird what are your both of your favorites for monsters and or spells that either just weird you out or just really cool probably my favorite animal creature in there just because it's so and this is sort of like brandon you know just mentioned the like oh the charming tea village like in the middle of the horrible woods it's kind of the same way, but 
for the animal side, it, there's a, a creature called the royal fox. And it looks like a normal fox, except it's usually wearing jewels and stuff. And I mean, it's almost like a, a bit like a kitsune from Asian mythology, sort of, except it, it isn't that. It doesn't have multiple tails or anything like that. It's just, it's just a really clever being that's like convinced all this, like it's, it's made deals with like stones that like, oh, I'm, 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 invincible, I'm invulnerable to stone, to stones, like because I talked to the stones and made a deal. The wind takes me wherever I want to go because I made a deal with the wind. And like, it's just like this information broker and it's got like a kind of trickster element to it. But it, it's just like, there's these just incredibly well-informed and well-spoken foxes that are just like, you don't know what kind of crazy powers that they may have because they've made all kinds of deals. They're possibly immortal. Like maybe they made a deal with death. You don't know. Like, it's just this sort of like, it's very dangerous to talk to one because like, they're going to try and deal you out of something. And, but like, but also like, you know, they're information brokers. Like you could learn some stuff from them. Yeah. Matthew, that was a, that's a really cool creature with the, uh, the foxes. Um, any, any spells that really stood out to you? There's a, there's one here that it's called breath of bees. And, it's about what you would imagine. Like you just oh. get a, you know, you get a bumblebee attack. Uh, you just breathe some bees on people. Pure so Nicolas good. Cage fun. Brilliant. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Uh, my, yeah, I lo- I love Breath of Bees. <laughs> it's I I just you know I have three kids and you know whenever they see a bee, it doesn't matter if it's a bumblebee or a a honeybee or whatever they're they're like ah it's bee and i just i just think of that like people some people just have a a fear of any kind of like flying insect and just imagine getting like a whole swarm breathed on you yeah that that evokes i say like that's very um wicker man nicholas cage version obviously not the bees um or like candy man as well with just swarms of bees that's just uh great yeah. imagery my uh, my favorite creature, and I, and I say my favorite. They're, I mean, they're all just so they're so weird and creepy in their their own ways. But like, there's this one called the Skulk, which it uh, you know it doesn't it, it, it's kind of like the the you know the, the shadow person you know in you know walking between the trees or whatever. It's like if you <laughs> see something that you shouldn't see, uh, you know, it might be a skulk, and if they if if you catch their eye from a you know like if, or their eye or rather um they they don't just like attack you they hunt down anything that you've ever cherished or valued like it will go and attack your family and your friends um and you know any anything like that until you don't have anything left and then it will hunt you down uh and hmm. it uses the trees um as as kind of like uh as kind of like gateways um and so it's just one of those things it's like it's just so terrifying that it's just like oh well yeah i just was wandering in the woods and i saw the wrong thing and now i've just <laughs> i've i've made this primal force of nature irrationally mad 
And Brendan, do any of the uh, the spells really uh, stick out to you? Well, we mentioned uh, cloud of bees or breath of bees, but there's also a um, there's one that you know I've I've been playing a a blade singer recently uh, in um, in D and D, and you know I I really dig dig the blade singer, but um, you know I, so I've used haste a lot. Uh, especially recently, but there's a spell that's called Adrenal Overdrive, which is very similar uh, in, in feel to a haste spell or anything like that, where um, you know haste allows you to get get an extra an extra attack, but this allows you to perform an attack or a non-combat action or anything like that. But you also have the ability to try to boost that higher. Um, so you may, you'll make a, a constitution check or something against your, your physical endurance or something like that. That's the, the kind of check that you would do. And uh, it w- will give you advantage on any of those attacks. It'll make it better. It'll just, you know, make you almost like Bane from Batman. It's like, ah, you just kind of Hulk out for a second. However, uh if you fail a saving throw then your heart just stops so like there's a risk uh, associated with that like you really need to defeat this this enemy or you really need to to achieve this 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 feat of strength or something you can do it uh potentially but there's a chance that you're just you're done you just fall unconscious until you get healed or you die a lot of the magic in in here is it, it it's supposed to be very raw and it feels it feels that way uh, because these are they're not things that you can necessarily learn from a book these are things that you either the the weird has gifted it to you from being out in the wilderness or uh, through a, a, an interaction with some of the creatures and things like that. It's not necessarily something that, that you're like, Oh yeah. I, I mean, maybe, maybe there is something in your, in your world. Like I went and I cracked open this ancient tome and I read all this, you know, as you coordinate with your, your dungeon master or whatever. Um, but it's, it, if you have story reasons why you can, you can get the, get this uh, magic, uh, it, it's really it's really cool to to see how you can incorporate this wild, raw, and primal mystical force. I think that that drives home. I think the the idea, of like you know, some magic, you just have to experience it or even be harmed by it to actually understand it. Um, wicked. Uh, right. I guess that brings us. Um, is that pretty much everything we want to discuss about Into the Wild Second Edition? Uh, Crystal, Mike, do you have any last comments or or uh, points you want to raise or questions that you have based upon what we've discussed so far? I will say that the video for the Kickstarter is really, it's really cool. Uh, it's one of the mm. one of the best videos I've ever seen for a uh, Kickstarter that I can recall. So definitely, if you if you're on the page. Give that a view, you know, don't skip it over. Um, and then also just a this is a common trend with wedding games, but uh the book is is very affordable if you want the uh the dead tree version, which uh I really appreciate, you know. It's uh I think $35 for uh, a hardcover, 250 or so pages. That's a uh, that's pretty good value. 
Yeah, that's one thing that we've we always wanted to try to do is is to to make it affordable. And you and if obviously it has to be cost effective for us to produce it, but um you know, we we want it to be a, a you know something that that people will, will want to pick up at a at a convention or at a shop. Um but yeah, and and I'd also <laughs> I also agree about that video. I played it uh you know when I first received the the work in progress and just the music. My my daughter, I have she's three and she wasn't even like looking at the screen. She just heard the music and she goes, Daddy, stop. That's scary. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, geez. Excellent. That's yeah, you know you've you've done it right when you can creep out kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With just little terrifies little children, right. Uh, I guess then that covers the discussion of the Weird and Wild into the Weird and Wild Second Edition Kickstarter. So changing track a little. Um, what's out new for Never Going Home? So again, people may not have heard. Uh, well, listeners, anyway, you can you can go back to whichever episode. I forget the number, Mike. There's an episode where. Um, uh, we did an interview, was it, or review? Yeah. I can't remember now. It's been a while. Uh, it was it was an interview with Brandon. Yeah. We'll put a link in the show notes so that people can check that out. Uh, yes, and that that covers uh, Never Go Home. But again, people could do with a refresher so they don't have to go and find it. So, what is Never Going Home? So, Never Going Home, high level. It's El Eldritch Horror in the trenches of World War One. Uh, it's a historical uh, setting, um, uh, obviously alternate history, um, but it's it, yeah. There's there's this element where the veil between our world and the world of the others has been thinned by uh, by this the uh, the Battle of the Somme, this conflict that that was going on, and uh, so now this uh the things in our world are getting corrupted and so that's that's high level uh what never going home is um and yeah it's been it's been expanding with other stuff i'm gonna let matt talk about this for for a little bit because he spent a, a good portion of of this year just intimately involved with uh some of our new products yeah the newest thing that's out in in uh it's shipping now, so we 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 received it from the printer, and and backers are getting their their product. Uh, you know, so it it's it's finally out in the world after um, more than a year. Uh, we ran the Kickstarter for it um, in in twenty the in twenty twenty of February twenty twenty when we ran the Kickstarter for the dossiers, which um, the the original set of books was four books, and then the dossiers added three books, but each of them being being very focused. So, um, as Brandon mentioned, you know, World War One general setting uh, for the first four books, but we wanted because people that would buy it would ask us like, "Oh, so like, are you going to do campaigns?" And we're like, "Well, it was supposed to kind of be free form, and we have a ton of adventures, but they aren't really connected together." People were like, oh, okay. Um, we're like, well, why not? Why not do campaigns? So each of the three dossiers that we have put together is focused on a very particular theater of the war. Um, we have one set in Gallipoli, 
1915, so you're going to be um, before things get really bad as far as supernatural uh, interference, but you're going to encounter like the very beginnings of the problems um, in that, uh, you know, Eastern, you know, I guess it's Western Turkey, that Eastern Europe um, borderlands, you know, the, the, the British Empire was invading Turkey, um, uh, the Ottoman Empire, I guess, it wasn't Turkey yet, and, you know, there's a lot of old old things laying around in that part of the world that, uh, you know, maybe you shouldn't have put your foot in. Um, the second one is the uh, set in Russia. So it begins with you retreating from the front uh, as that front collapses for Russia. And um, then things only really go from bad to worse for Russia uh, as the failures of the war lead to political turmoil in the country. Um, and Crystal worked on that one a bunch. So you maybe can jump in and say something about that uh, here in a second. But the, the third one is set. You are uh, on a U-boat. Uh, you're a U-boat crew in, in the North Sea, your German U-boat crew, and your U-boat is cursed. And uh, you've got a mission to, uh, you know, defend the Imperial Germany, despite the fact that your U-boat is horribly cursed. Uh, and so, you know, you're going to be doing a lot of naval shore invasion type missions and fighting sea serpents not sea serpents but there's there's a few sea monsters to battle in that book and you know avoiding uh, having to run the, the gauntlet of depth charges and being spotted on the surface and that kind of stuff so they've got uh, you, how can you maintain your stealth uh and complete your missions um, in that one so it's pretty different from the individual soldiers fighting in a, in a you know, with guns and stuff, because you're yeah. a lot on the ship in that one. But again, it's a different theater of war, so it's got a little bit different rules. And um, those are the three different theaters, and each one has stuff for players, new rules for narrators, it has monsters, it has six interconnected adventures in that where you start at the beginning and you reveal kind of almost like a novel where you kind of you get the adventure, and if you survive, then you find out more of the mystery and things pulling you in narratively. Um, so that's that's the campaign dossiers, and uh, we did take a lot of work. It did take a lot of work to put them all together, but we're really proud of what we achieved there. You know, adding more to that. Yeah, the uh, the cursed U boat one sounds uh, particularly particularly stressful uh, because uh, this was <laughs> the Second World War, but I think I think the mortality rate of a U boat crewmen in the second world war was something like 90 percent already so if you're on a cursed boat too that uh does not bode well Oof. i i did know that and i did look up i did see that number it may actually be in the book uh, yeah you think you think being a in the infantry is tough try being in a u-boat mm, definitely pretty frightening and uh yeah i guess uh, uh crystal if you want to take off your podcaster hat and put on your developer hat what what kind of response have you seen for the uh, material that you did for the uh, dossiers? I haven't seen anything for the the um, blood in the snow just yet. People are just starting to get it, and so I'm getting pictures. So giving them a little bit of time. Um, but I'm excited for them to be able to see like what what we present in there and how we present it, because... Um, the history, especially that area for Russia, uh, uh, that time period for Russia is really, really um, dense. And there's like a, a really interesting counterpoint that's happening socially within Russia 
um, that leads up through the entire um, dossier for it. Um, it. There's kind of a play through that where you end up being on one side or the other through, by the end of it. Um, and uh, <laughs> there is really no good side to be on, to be honest, because of everything going on in Russia. And in fact, we got to um, play around in one of the coldest areas that are habitable on Earth within the campaign, which is really cool because we got to play around with a whole bunch of weather mechanics and everything. So that's another little added benefit there, just the uh, the extra mechanics as well for these different settings. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah, we don't necessarily know if we're going to be doing more of the, the the campaign books themselves in the future. That's one of those things that people were asking for them. So we said, OK, yeah, like as Matt said, well, I mean, why not? Let's take a look at it and try it. We'd love to, to hear people's response to them. However, uh, in like never going home is is not done there's there's always going to be stuff in our from our game designer minds that we 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 want to toss around and see what we can uh put out so um next year potentially we'll have some uh have some more stuff that we can uh come on here and and talk about in a little bit more depth and detail but we have some exciting things in in the works um you know for for never going home i was also thinking like uh another way you can really add to it because i mean given the type of uh stories you're telling with it and um it reminded me of some of the the work some other like alternate kind of war game miniatures and everything out there like and also the imagery on the very front cover of never going home you can just do some really cool i'd be really keen to know if people are like representing some of their encounters using some really grim dark painted converted world war one plastic <laughs> miniatures i think you get have a lot of fun with that and you know really grime them up with I dirt and everything so badly I, i'd love to give it a go i'd love to because uh, i mean it, it tickles my death corpse of krieg kind of uh itch without um having to collect an entire army of them because they're expensive I, <laughs> but i mean I'd, I'd love to see i mean I, I i love miniatures i like love seeing how people who paint significantly better than me can can make them look great um and we've had people uh, reach out to us individuals who said hey you guys should really consider doing miniatures and that's just an entire new uh level of the ball game when it comes to uh development and cost and and things like that but you know if if people want to you know, do a, a hack and, and make some existing miniatures or, or even, you know, use some green stuff and, and, you know, have, have fun with it uh, and then paint them up, feel free to, to share those images with us. Uh, oh yeah. Through That'd be great to see them. Yeah. I mean, the, the overlap is the thing that I would look at as, as pure inspiration um, is uh, there's a Napoleonic war game called turnip 28 which is a bit weird in its sense but you've the way they do the models uh they suggest for like conversion they use like tufts of um the tufts, tufts of like static grass coming out of the out of the um miniatures to make them look like they're rotting and growing various things i think that kind of fits the kind of corruption mm. um which is inherent within the setting yeah it's almost um never going home is, is not um definitely not designed to be played with miniatures you're not uh pretty abstract the combat and the positioning and stuff like that so 
you wouldn't yeah. you absolutely would not need them to play the game but uh yeah even even some little standees would be fun yeah definitely yeah standees would be really cool just to allow people to maybe better visualize the combat if it does get you know uh, over overwhelming cool um right uh mike any other further questions i mean i think we just want to uh kind of hand it over to uh wedding games to highlight uh anything else that's you know coming down the pipeline anything else that might interest the uh listeners of darker days radio uh what you guys got coming up (laughs) so you know just like with everybody uh you know this this whole year threw everyone for a loop and it definitely put us uh you know our 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 momentum uh it kind of threw us through a wrench in our works uh however we have constantly been working with people and, and um and with different developers and designers trying to uh get some projects uh, moving as you can see you know with into the weird and wild it's uh, something that was mostly already done, um, but it was again working with another designer or designing team. But we, one of the things that we actually uh, did late last year, and we actually had to floor it, uh, or I'm sorry, shelve it, um, was uh, Dark Places and Demogorgons, which was as a 5e version of an OSR game that was d- developed by Bloat Games. And that's something that uh, we had some really great people working on. Uh, we just kickstarted it at the wrong time. It was right during an election, and so any of our uh, any of our, our funding and uh, and advertising it was just going to a black hole, and we didn't understand why initially. Um, but you know, doing a kind of a not necessarily a post mortem on the on the campaign, but looking at it, we said, "Oh man, well." from a when when all of these advertising dollars are just going into a black hole and everyone's emotional uh attention is being being taken up by this uh this extremely contentious election here in the united states it was just it, it was very very uh overwhelming and uh along with everything else that was going on with covid uh but that is something that we're still working on uh, and we're going to be getting our uh, all of the these things together for that team. Uh, the The project was is great, and I think uh, that's something that we'll see um, you know later later this year. We have another project in the works right now uh, with some amazing uh, amazing designers. Um, it's called Heck and Good Doggos, which is a completely different game than. Uh, never going home it uses the plus one system that never going home uses except it's just dogs doing dog stuff uh as opposed to you know fighting monsters uh there's some other micro settings and things that that kind of will allow us to to have fun and with with other uh with other things but that's something else that's that's on the horizon um it's a little different um we have a a a game that's also that we've we've talked about uh, in uh, pu- publicly before. Uh, Tyler Omachinsky is uh, the writer, uh, and it's going to be um, the art is going to be done by Stephen Wu, who did a lot of the interior art for Zhang Shu, and who did the art for Tenebria: Remnant of Rome, another one of our games. Um, and it's called Frost, and it's a uh, kind of this post-apocalyptic setting where uh, the climate crisis. Uh, you know, that the world is dealing with humanity tried to overcorrect 
uh, and so now the earth is drastically colder. Um, and that's a that's another project in the works. Um, so we and we have some other ideas, which uh, you know, as they they get uh, closer, we've we've been uh, approached and uh, by uh, some of our some of the people that have written for us in the past uh, to do some uh, really cool horror games. One that I play tested uh, a while ago uh, by Cleo uh, Cleo Sundavis and Doug Lewandowski. Um, but that's something that is, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at for potentially next year. Um, but that's, you know, so early in the, in the process, the, the game is done, but it's, again, it's trying to see where it fits for us. There's a lot of great stuff coming from us. Um, but again, it's, uh, we, we say it, say it regularly. Ideas are easy and execution is hard. Can you can you go into more detail about heckin' good doggos? Uh, <laughs> what what kind of adventures have you play tested in, in such a game? So so heckin' good doggos is um, the, you know there's a originally it was uh, you know just again dogs doing dog stuff uh, you know chasing chasing cars and barking at the mailman and protecting your your person. Um, but you know, with especially with some of our our micro settings, one of the things that we wanted to do was um, was talk about like oh let's have some different stories. Uh, you know, so there was a graphic novel series called Beast of Burden. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's a it's about neighborhood dogs. But there's supernatural stuff that that goes on um, in the in the setting. So. Um, it, Beast of Burden is great. If you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend it. So you can still tell those regular, you know, normal everyday dog stories, uh, and the dogs have their own mythology and and stuff like that. But also, you can go and say like, yeah, I want to, you know, you know, or my dog befriends a cat who is the, uh, you know, a uh, a black cat that belongs to this, you know, the, this uh, magic user, and now we're gonna go talk uh, talk about that and you know have some adventures there. Uh, so we have a you know micro setting called Hexen Good Doggos, and then we have mm -hmm. uh, we have one where you know the humans had uh, left all the dogs to the their own devices, and they set up these robotic caretakers to take care of the dogs, and the dogs became uh, able to use some of this technology. So it's Mechan Good Doggos, and so hmm. we we have there, there's there's a lot. We actually had worked with some really cool uh cool writers and uh, they've just been able to bring some really interesting takes on some of these um some of these these micro settings um and i think my favorite would probably be yield favorable hounds <laughs> uh which is a fantasy setting where your dogs in you know medieval villages and stuff like that. nice very exciting yeah, and uh, Matthew, I noticed on the uh, the wedding games Discord that uh, you seem to post a lot of the uh, a lot of, like the production side of things, a lot of the uh, cool things that are being mocked up. Um, I don't know anything uh, on that side that's uh, really got you excited, and that would excite our listeners. I mean, as far as the the keeping people up to date with where our other projects are, of course, the campaign dossiers are delivering now. Um, Zhang Shi, uh, Blood in the Banquet Hall is the don't know that I've shared them, but I, I need to get together some posts about it. We've gotten some. I think it's it, uh, we're at the level where 
the production facility has sent us unprinted boxes that are in the shape of what all the products are going to be. And mm-hmm. so you look at them and you're like, yes, these are of quality and they shipped here safely and um, that. So like a big white box with a bunch of white pieces inside, it isn't that interesting, but it is an important step in the process to getting that game because that's the biggest, as far as like a box with a bunch of stuff in it. Um, that's the biggest game that we've uh, produced before or helped produce. Um, so that's a that's a pretty interesting thing um, for there. And I and yeah, I need to get together some some posts for that. Um, I think I've shared some stuff about Frost. Uh, the only other like I don't think there's any other secrets that uh, that are out there. I was doing some research about UFOs the other day. Like Brandon said, ideas are easy. So I, I'm I'm trying to figure out. I want to do some UFOs, something, but I don't know what I don't know what it's going to be yet. We're gonna need to read more about the Shaver mysteries and uh, and Indrid Cold and see what I could come up with. But uh, other than other than that, no other no other production stills uh, available. <laughs> All right, cool. No, I just wanted to check about it. Awesome. So I think that pretty much covers uh, what we wanted to discuss with Wedding Games. Uh, does anyone else have anything uh, that they want to bring up? No, I think we're, I'm good. I think we've uh, covered a lot of stuff. Absolutely. It's always, it's always excellent to be here. And, uh, you know, we, we'd love to come back once we get some of these other ideas actually onto, onto paper and into print. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to uh, talk to you guys. And uh, where can people find Wedding Games uh, if they want to get uh, updates more directly? Maybe this is some breaking news almost. Uh, so we've had Facebook and Instagram under the name Wedding Games and obviously our individual Kickstarter pages um, Twitter, in, yeah. into the Weird and Wild revised and reprinted is the very long name of the Kickstarter <laughs> page for the current project. Um, but we also have a website. Uh, at, at, after after it being in process for a while, I think we finally got a website. So, weddinggames.com is is up live. So, you can you can go there. Uh, but yeah, you know, if if you're looking for you know regular updates rather than you know, hey, here's who we are and generally what we do. Yeah, as Matt said, uh, you know, Instagram, you're always seeing some of some of our our cool uh, art. That's, one of the things that we pride ourselves on is working with tremendous artists and Matt does a great job of, uh, you know, finding some great pieces and putting those out. Um, yeah. And, and Facebook and Twitter as well. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, just as a reminder, we will put a link in the show notes to the, uh, into the weird and wild Kickstarter so that people can check it out. Cause, uh, it's really exciting. Um, it's blown way past its original goal and uh, has many, many stretch goals and other cool things for people to uh, to check out and uh, get even more excited about. And, uh, of course, we are Darker Days Radio. Um, we now have a link tree where you can find links to all of our different things. Uh, if you go to linktree uh, slash Darker Days Radio, you can find a link to you know, our Facebook uh, email address, the Twitter, our Twitch, and... Uh, even even the Discord server, which is a uh, cool place to hang out and talk about different horror role-playing games. And I think that's pretty much it uh, for this episode. Uh, you know, Matt and uh, Brandon, really appreciate you uh, coming on to uh, talk about things. Uh, it ran a little bit longer than expected, but uh, 
you guys have a lot of great insight and uh, a lot of cool <laughs> stories about your uh, different games and products. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Again, we love being here. You guys are great. <laughs> thanks, appreciate it. And uh, Chris and Crystal, thanks as always for uh, coming on the show and uh, you know giving back to the to the RPG community and the listeners. Fun as always. Really, really interesting here about um, into the weird and wild. Um, also, uh, Mike, when are we expecting this episode to be going out? Because I mean, the Kickstarter is ongoing. Uh, and as we look at it right now, there are 17 days to left. So, yeah, so this will be going out in four days. So there will still so be if two you're listening, weeks yeah. almost left. There you go. Yeah. Excellent. Brilliant. I think that's it. Yep. And to all the listeners out there, take it easy and have a good night. See ya. This has been an episode of Darker Days Radio. Special thanks to Occam's Laser for the intro, outro, and new bumper music from their hit album, Nine Circles. Check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com. Occam's Laser.